Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour, bonjour. (laughs) I am so grateful, so thankful to join with you here and now, whenever that is. (laughs) Oh, I'm just so grateful for A Course in Miracles. I was pondering this as I was preparing to record this episode, and I am deeply, deeply grateful I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'll share what else came into my awareness. So grateful, so thankful for the infinite love, the pure intelligence, the wisdom, and the clarity, the freedom that is already ours. So grateful for the peace of God, and to know that all that God could possibly give us, all that our Creator has to offer, has already been given, has already been offered. Asking it is given because it already has been given. So we're celebrating that fact that we are worthy, all are worthy, that heaven is pre-installed. And we're already perfect, we're already free, already as holy as holy can be. So grateful to know that this is so, and for our willingness to accept it as true. We are, every minute of every day, sharing the benefits with everyone because we are one with them. So grateful and so very, very thankful. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And I haven't said this in years, but I'm going to take a sip of my tea. (laughs) People used to tell me they loved it when I would say that. They would sip their tea too. So there, for my longtime friends. So the other thing that came into my mind uh, here, and we've just been talking about the attraction of death in recent episodes, and uh, we're in the Obstacles to Peace section, chapter 9, section 4, and what I can say is that it came into my mind that more than 45,000 people have suddenly, you know, within a two-week period, passed away in Turkey from the earthquake. And then yesterday, they had another major earthquake. Now, when I first moved to Los Angeles in 1994, 
I had never been there before. I arrived my first night. I drove there from the, an, an island off the coast of Maine where my family has a home, and uh, which we rent in order to be able to afford to keep it. And so I was living in the house at that time. My parents um, had it as a second home at that time. And I was driving from Maine to California, going down the eastern side of the country and then going across um, through uh, Texas and uh, southern states there. I stayed with friends and family all along the way. It was like a two-week trip, and it was wonderful. And... um, So I got to L.A. First night, I stayed with friends. I had never been there before. It was very disorienting to me. Oh, my God, I got lost so many times when I moved to L.A. I was so used to the easy grid of New York City, laid out where the streets are numbered, the avenues are numbered, and everything makes sense. And uh, so it was very disorienting to me trying to find my way around Los Angeles. I kept thinking of the ocean as being uh, to the east, but it's not. In L.A., it's to the west. My whole life, I'd grown up with the ocean to the east because I grew up in Rhode Island. I went to college in Boston and lived in Maine, and et cetera, et cetera. So in New York, everything, the, the water is to the east. So anyway, um, getting oriented with the sun and everything. It just, it took me probably two years to really feel like, okay, I'm solid here now. So, uh, and this was back before cell phones. This was in the early 90s. So the Thomas Guide, that giant map book, was my guide. Oh, so glad we don't have to do that anymore. And uh, the, so I, the first night I stayed with a friend Uh, And the second night, I was at another friend's house, and I was house-sitting for her. And that second night, it was a Saturday night, if I recall, there was a 3.4 earthquake in Santa Monica, which is where I was. And that house shook hard. And I woke up out of a dead sleep. I sleep very soundly. I woke up out of a dead sleep at whatever time it was, early morning, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. And I realized right away, oh, my God, this is an earthquake. And I jumped up out of bed, and I stood in the doorway, which now I know that's not what you do, but I didn't know that then. I had heard that was the thing to do. So I had that preparation. And I'm glad I did because the very next weekend, again, I think it was a Saturday night, might have been a Friday. I don't remember. Could even have been a Sunday. I just don't remember exactly. Uh, Was the big one. The, uh, I guess they said it was 6.9 ultimately. And That was extraordinary to be in that experience because it just went on and on and on. 
it seemed like it was never going to stop and bookcases are falling over and chandeliers are swinging, all kinds of stuff. It was really intense. And uh, so once it stopped, I put on my robe and I went outside, as many people did, and car alarms were going off and all that stuff. And it was just about dawn. It was just as the sun was rising that it happened. I think it was a Sunday morning, which was great because hardly anybody was on their way to work. And um, But I remember what it was like. Very clearly, I remember... I often don't remember things but I uh, from the past that are unpleasant. But what I remember was the aftershocks, especially in the first couple of weeks, that every time there was an aftershock and they were constant all day long. I don't even know. You know, there might have been 20 or 30 in a day. I don't remember. Um, but it was like just this shock, really, of like the whole house shaking. The ground underneath you is shaking, and your whole body's ah, and, and is that another big one? Oh no, it's just an aftershock. Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> and sometimes it'd be aftershock, 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 and it would feel like, oh no, it's another big one coming. Um, and because it's so visceral, so physical, uh, it was really unnerving. And I'm a very strong and steady person. I always have been in a lot of ways. And not a worrier. I would get very, I used to get very angry and be um, belligerent and things like that. But I wasn't really a worrier. I wasn't that afraid of the, although anger, of course, is a symptom of fear. Of that, that's no question in my mind. Um, And So that was extremely stressful. It was also very stressful because my friends and acquaintances were stressed out. And there was a lot of damage, etc. So my heart really goes out to the people of Turkey on all these levels. And what I was feeling into as I was preparing to record this episode was when you have 45,000 people, as has been reported in this Turkish earthquake, earthquake, 45,000 people leaving the planet, leaving their human experience in such a short period of time, it is it's very affecting to the human race consciousness, to all humanity. And uh, if we add to that uh, all the stuff, people still, of course, many people still passing away from the COVID virus and uh, the cost of things going up so much because the suppliers, the manufacturers are just gouging people, seeing they're they're they've got record profits and the consumers have record prices. 
It's very challenging. There's so many really deeply emotionally and physically challenging things going on around the world right now. And so there is a global tension. And I feel it. I feel it. I'll say it doesn't bother me because I'm not judging it. But I notice it because it's part of the human experience right now. So if you're feeling it and judging it, if you can release that judgment, you can have your peace back. So that's one of the things that is uh, one of the most wonderful benefits of practicing A Course in Miracles, truly living A Course in Miracles, is that we can notice things. We can notice, oh, there's a fearful thought. We can notice, oh, there's an angry thought. There's an aggressive thought. There's a sad thought. There's, um, oh, there's an old habit of going into self-medication or um, self-attack. And we can notice all these things, but we don't have to go there. We can remain identified with our higher Holy Spirit self, the mighty I Am presence, the truth of our being. So we can remember that our holiness is intact despite any and all appearances. So we don't have to be like a tiny little boat on a big ocean just being tossed around without having any sense of grounding whatsoever. We don't have to live that way. And A Course in Miracles really teaches us through working the lessons and applying the text in the Manual for Teachers really teaches us, especially if we just are focusing on the willingness all day, every day, and working with our teacher, that higher Holy Spirit self. If we have the willingness, there is a clear path of awakening. And it is so worth it. I I cannot say enough how worth it it is. Find whatever way you can to work these lessons And it's through the practical application of these teachings that the mind is restored. So I'm very grateful. So we're talking here about the fourth obstacle, the fear of God. It's page 420 in the FIP version, chapter 19, section 4D. The fourth obstacle, the fear of God. What would you see without the fear of death? What would you feel and think if death held no attraction for you? Very simply, you would remember your father. The creator of life, the source of everything that lives, the father of the universe and the universe of universes, And of everything that lies even beyond them, would you remember? And as this memory rises in your mind, peace must still surmount a final obstacle, after which is salvation completed and the Son of God entirely restored to sanity. 
for here does for here your world does end the separate world the fourth obstacle to be surmounted hangs like a heavy veil before the face of Christ yet as Christ's face rises beyond it shining with joy because Christ is in God's love peace will lightly brush the veil aside and run to meet the Christ and to join with the Christ at last. So, you know how many times things, when we set out on an endeavor to shift our consciousness, We'll, we might start with easy challenges. And it can seem like those challenges are a test, but they're not a test. What they are is they are an opportunity for us to say, yes, I'm really committed. I'm going to the next stage here. So it can seem like, oh, we're being um, uh, tested. I think that's the only word to use that I can think of. Uh, and it can be interpreted, I've talked about this many times, it can be interpreted that the test is from an unloving God. God is testing me. But in my experience and my knowing, I am clear that God does not test us to make it difficult. That test i i say i just know it's true these what seem like tests are in our script which has been written by us to help us everything works together for good it's hard to believe that everything is helpful but it is this is in the uh, development of trust section that it takes great learning to recognize Everything is helpful. Everything. So when it seems like a test, it's actually an opportunity to transcend limited thinking. Stinking thinking. That seeming test is where you can get rocket fuel to rise up, to leap up. My teacher, Venerable Dahani Oahu, says... She uses fear like a trampoline. When it seems like a test, use it like a trampoline to leap higher. And so you can see more clearly, know more clearly, feel more clearly, hear more clearly what the truth is. So... This fourth obstacle is the fear of God. And it can seem like life is testing us. It's so common for folks to not even realize they have a fear of God, but, but many people do, especially if they were raised in a religion. Um, because one of the aspects of some religious teachings is to promote that God is fearsome. 
that God will smite you, that God will ask you to give up your firstborn or uh, all kinds of difficulties. And instead of perceiving them, uh, the difficulties as they truly are, opportunities to prove to yourself what you have within you, what your character is. And it can often feel that it is darkest before the dawn. I've been uh, offering my year-long Masterful Living program now. This is the 15th year, and I see it year after year after year that many people go through challenges. I mean, people go through challenges if they're not in Masterful Living, but they go through challenges uh, while they're in Masterful Living. And I can see and therefore say to them, This is your darkest before the dawn moment right here. This is the time when you are being pressed by your own holiness to give up the view of yourself, of life, of God, of love that is not helpful to you. You're being pressed. Are you willing to give up your attachments to your judgments, your opinions, the meaning you made of things? Are you willing to be free of the past or will you continue to cling to it? I've come to think of these tests as being spirit's way of shaking me loose from the old conditioned view. And the habitual choices of lack, attack, limitation, and separation. So I've come to see that challenges are what feels like a test. They're actually very helpful for me if I'm willing to work at the level of the mind and to give up my attachments at the level of the mind. And so it's like shaking my tree, (laughs) Now, I'm going to go back and read this paragraph two again. It's filled with uh, um, masculine wording. And uh, I, I usually change all that to a non-gender specific wording. Um, I don't personally call God the Father. I'm not offended by people who do, but it's not my way. And... Uh, To me, God is not masculine. God is everything. And everything is not masculine. So that's just how I look at it. But I'm going to read it as it's written here. The fourth obstacle to be surmounted, which is the fear of God, hangs like a heavy veil before the face of Christ. Yet as his face rises beyond it, meaning Uh, Christ's face, shining with joy because he, Christ, is in his Father's love. Peace will lightly brush the veil aside and run to meet him and to join with him at last. For this dark veil, which seems to make the face of Christ himself like to a leper's, and the bright rays, capital R, of his Father's love that light His face with glory appear as streams of blood, fades in the blazing light beyond it when the fear of death is gone. 
very dramatic. So this is the darkest veil, he says, the fear of God, that is the darkest veil, upheld by the belief in death and protected by its attraction, the attraction of death, which we talked about recently. The dedication to death and to its sovereignty is but the solemn vow, the promise made in secret to the ego never to lift this veil, not to approach it, nor even to suspect that it is there. This is the secret bargain made with the ego to keep what lies beyond the veil forever blotted out and unremembered. Okay, so we have a fear of looking deeply because we are afraid to confront the fear of God. And I have worked with so many people who really have this very strong fear of God. Like if I suggest to them, what about working with an affirmation like, thy will be done? And people go, they recoil. Oh, God, no, 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 no. They recoil because in their mind, in their belief system, they are unworthy of God's infinite love, and therefore they think that God will attack them and punish them, hurt them, deprive them if they say, Thy will be done. Thy will be mine. There's a tremendous fear of it. So the fear of God is not real, but it is something that a lot of people work with and they don't even know that they have it. So I'm going to get more into this in the second half of this episode. And I'm so grateful that we're joined together to do this together. My name is Jennifer Hadley. I absolutely love A Course in Miracles. I love the journey of awakening that working the lessons and the text and the manual for teachers gives us. And I'm so glad that we get to join together and do this work together. After this short break, I will be right back with more A Course in Miracles looking at the fear of God. for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. And we're back. So grateful. So the fear of God is what we're talking about here in the Obstacles to Peace section number four in chapter 19. And my little kitty is sitting on my Course in Miracles book, and I have to move him. Come on, Sattva. And (laughs) um, this fear of God, we may not even realize that it's operating in our awareness. And so we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to try to understand it. We don't have to undo it. 
That's the great thing about actually living the lessons, living A Course in Miracles, is that we can hand it right over to that higher Holy Spirit self and be willing to remember the truth. That's it. And then the fear of God can actually be dissolved. We just have to be willing. For me, it was extremely helpful to be able to say again and again every day, Thy will be mine. Thy will be done. I was willing to accept that when I said Thy will, that God's will was my will because I am part of God. I had all that training in the science of mind teachings as a practitioner, as a minister. And I, while I certainly wasn't living as though it were true, I did have an intellectual understanding that I am part of God, not separate from God. So therefore, God's will is my will. And one of the things that I frequently bring up is what Jesus tells us in the Course, that our will is the will of God because there is no second will, no separate will. So when we're saying, thy will be done, uh, thy will be mine, what we're saying is, I am interested in aligning with the highest expression of God's love as my very life and being. I am willing to give up this attachment to living as a delusional, illusional, separate self. So for me, that simple statement, thy will be done, or thy will be mine, it held all of that for me. And affirming it again and again and again was my demonstration of my willingness that really helped me so deeply to recover sanity and to give up the fear of God and the belief that I was unworthy of love. See, almost everyone who hasn't done this work believes they're unworthy of love, that they're not good enough in some way, and then therefore they are expecting to be punished, to be hurt, to be attacked by God itself. And that is intensely challenging. And so what we're doing here is we are willing to give up that stinking thinking and value the truth instead of the meaning that we've made of things. And right here, this darkest veil, it says here, this is the darkest veil upheld by the belief in death and protected by its attraction, the attraction of death. The dedication to death and to its sovereignty is but the solemn vow, the promise made in secret to the ego never to lift this veil, not to approach it, nor even to suspect it is there. This is a secret bargain made with the ego to keep what lies beyond the veil forever blotted out and unremembered. Here is your promise never to allow union 
to call you out of separation. The great amnesia in which the memory of God seems quite forgotten. The cleavage of yourself from you. Self with a capital S, so that higher self. The cleavage of yourself from you, the fear of God, the final step in your dissociation. So being willing, that's all that's required here. Let's make that our daily remembrance. I'm willing to give up the fear of God in whatever way it's showing itself in my life. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to write it down. Spirit already knows. The higher Holy Spirit self already knows. It goes on here, paragraph four. See how the belief in death would seem to save you. For if this were gone, what could you fear but life? If you didn't have the fear of death, you would recognize ah, you're afraid of death. I mean, afraid of life. It is the attraction of death that makes life seem to be ugly, cruel, and tyrannical. Think of that. That's why it's so important to be willing to work with the Holy Spirit on these things. The attraction of death makes life seem to be ugly, cruel, and tyrannical. This is one of the common cries of spiritual students. I've heard it so many times that people feel, and I've felt it myself, the feelings that I've had where I hate this life because it does seem to be ugly, cruel, and tyrannical. But that's a view. That's a conditioned view. And that conditioned view to see life in that way. Remember, pain is a wrong perspective. To see life through this perspective, through these veils, we are going to get the same result over and over again. That we hate this life. This life is so hard. It's so ugly, it's so cruel, it's so tyrannical, it's so impossible. There's no way to be happy here. All these kinds of thoughts are all expressions of seeing life and God and ourselves through these veils. So let's be willing to let them all go. Jesus says, you are no more afraid of death than of the ego. These are your chosen friends, for in your secret alliance with them, you have agreed never to let the fear of God be lifted so you could look upon the face of Christ and join Christ in the Father, his Father, in God. In your secret alliance with death and the ego, you have agreed never to let the fear of God of your holiness be lifted so you could look upon the face of Christ in, your, in the mirror, in, in your own countenance, in your own beingness. Every obstacle that peace must flow across is surmounted in just the same way. 
The fear that raised it yields to the love beyond. And so the fear is gone. So we yield to the love beyond, beyond our human understanding, beyond the veil, the, the love that is beyond this world, beyond our thoughts about this world, our thoughts about ourselves. We yield to the love. And that is why I'm always saying this over and over and over again, the antidote to everything is to be loving, to just simply be loving. Because the more we choose to be loving, the more we align with our divinity, we align with our right mind. Every time we're being loving, we're being right-minded. Because being loving doesn't need anything in return. Love doesn't need anything in return. Why? Because love already has everything that is worth having. (laughs) And so when we're being loving in order to get something in return, we're not being loving. We are being egotistical. We are fear-based. We are grasping, needing, wanting, craving, trying to manipulate and control. And that is all fear-based behavior. So that's why he says here, the, the antidote is to be loving. Every obstacle that peace must flow across is surmounted in just the same way. The fear that raised it, raised the obstacle, yields to the love beyond, and so the fear is gone. And so it is with this, the fear of God. The desire to get rid of peace and drive the Holy Spirit from you fades in the presence of the quiet recognition that you love God. You love the Holy Spirit. You're not in fear. You are in love. I used to, I know when I was uh, first in classes at Agape, the pre-practitioner classes, in the mid-90s, I thought when people would say, oh, I love God so much, I'd think, I don't get it. God is love. How do you love love? Like, I don't get it. But I get it now because it's about recognizing We are love, and so we love to love. (laughs) Love to love you, baby, as Barry White said. But love to love ourselves. Love to love life. Love to love with a loving view of this life. The desire to get rid of peace and drive the Holy Spirit from you fades in the presence of the quiet recognition that you love God. You love the Holy Spirit. You love Him, it says. The exaltation of the body is given up in favor of the Spirit, which you love as you could never love the body. And the appeal of death is lost forever as love's attraction stirs and calls to you. From beyond each of the obstacles to love, love itself has called. And that is the truth of it. Jesus talks about how 
All are called, but few choose to answer. All are called. We are called by love itself. We are called to be the love, to share the love, to know the love, to enjoy the love, to experience the love. We are called to love. And the appeal of death is lost forever as love's attraction stirs and calls to you. So think on this. We, when we're being loving, we're lifting our vibration back to the default settings, our natural state. When we're being loving, we're clearing the cash to use two computer metaphors. We're clearing the cache of false beliefs, false identification, attachments to the past and the meaning we made of it. When we're being loving, we're clearing that which is false. And the more we choose to be loving, genuinely loving, which sometimes can be fierce, It can be fierce. I've occasionally had to tell people that I love so, so much, you know, just really strong, full, unconditional love. I love you so much that I need to love you from a distance right now because you are so intent on being self-destructive I can't enable that. I just can't be in a codependent situation with you. So I'm going to love you from over here unconditionally, completely. And I can't help you self-destruct. I can't. I can't. And I'm going to know instead that this journey that you're taking that looks like self-destruction is actually going to bring you to a place where you love yourself fully and completely. Now, I might not be able to say all that because someone might not be able to hear it, but I can be in that place of taking a stand for someone, but it seems like I'm stepping back, but I'm only doing it in order to truly take a stand for their holiness. Sometimes it goes that way. But it, the love is stronger because of it, not less. From beyond each of the obstacles to love, love itself has called, and each has been surmounted by the power of the attraction of what lies beyond. Your wanting fear seemed to be holding them in place. Yet, when you heard the voice of love beyond them, you answered and they disappeared. That is my experience. That Because what happened for me was I realized I just want to be loving all the time. That is my most clear desire. I'd like to be loving all the time with everyone in every situation. Now, 
that decision that this this is what I'm going to put my attention and focus on. If you have been listening, then you you may have heard me say uh, at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, let's just give this whole year to spirit. Because numerologically, it's a seven year, which is the number of spirit, it's the number of truth. Let us give this whole year, no matter what we're doing, whether we're having babies or we're retiring or we're getting divorced or our spouse has passed away, whatever is happening, let's just give this whole year to spirit. And the best way I know to do that is to be loving. That's what worked for me. So when we're being loving, we can hear the voice of love calling to us, always calling to us. Everyone is called. So the fear will disappear. But we still will have some attachments to playing small, living in lack and limitation, and, and still the attraction of death and the attraction of pain and the attraction of guilt. These are going to be present in our awareness. And it's just like if you have a habit, <laughs> what comes into my mind is uh, in, in that main house that I mentioned earlier, um, my parents had the silverware drawer in the, um, it's a built-in cabinet that, uh, was by the dining table. That's where the silverware was kept. And then my, after my mom passed, my dad remarried, um, they rebuilt the island in the middle of the kitchen and they put the silverware in there. It's all good. And, but still to this day, even though they rebuilt that island, maybe, I don't know, nine years ago, something like that, eight years ago. I don't remember. Um, I'm saying that a lot today. I I forget all the details sometimes. And then other times I have amazing memory of details. I guess we all do that. So still, now, I can think of when I was last at the house in Maine in November, I still sometimes reach for that old drawer where the silverware used to be, even though it's been so many years since the silverware is kept there. So sometimes we just have a habitual thing. For instance, another example, a better example would be but I, I think it was appropriate to have that example. So thank you, Spirit. Not saying that's not true. Um, another example would be that, uh, let's say, you it's, it's uh, trash day or something, and uh, someone forgot to put the trash out, whoever it was that's their job, they forgot to put the trash out uh, in time to be picked up. And 
that the habitual response is to be annoyed when that happens. Why be annoyed? Because of the meaning you make of it. The meaning you make of it is they don't care. They're not paying attention. They don't care. This means they don't really love me. They don't really respect me. Uh, They don't care. They're not paying attention. This means that uh, they are not going to make it in this world, that they think life is going to be against them because they won't be successful in their jobs. They won't be successful at school. We have all these different ways that we interpret things, make a negative meaning of it, and then we're upset by the negative meaning. So a h- habitual conditioned response could be, uh, oh, no, the trash didn't get put out, so it didn't get picked up, and then there's an upset. Uh, and but if you pause for a moment, you might realize I'm actually not upset about this. I just have a habit of being upset about this. I find myself doing that maybe once a week or so that I have a habit of being annoyed by certain things. Um, I spill stuff on the floor. Oh, come on. But more and more, I realize that's just... I don't actually feel annoyed. It's a habit to get annoyed. And we, we have the ability to pull ourselves back from that. So, for instance, I'm, I'm not aware of having a fear of death. But I certainly know people who do. And death is, uh, can be so disruptive and so disconcerting. It's, it can trigger us in, in the most intense ways. And, but I'm not aware of having a fear of death. It doesn't mean I wouldn't be upset if someone suddenly died. I have a friend whose who's partner recently suddenly died, made their transition, and I felt very deeply disturbed by this, very deeply disturbed by this because of, we could say because of the meaning I made of it, but just because I felt the shift energetically in my friend's life. And I have so much compassion for my friend, for their family, at this sudden change in their lives, recognizing how challenging this could be. But that doesn't mean that there's a fear of death. If someone's house burns down, that can be very disconcerting. It can be very upsetting. It can send everything out of whack and trigger lots of things. But it doesn't mean that the person has a fear of their house burning down. So we're learning to look at things differently. That's what A Course in Miracles has us do. We're finishing up this section here real quick. Jesus says, And now you stand in terror before what you swore never to look upon, the fear of death. The fear of God, rather. Your eyes look down, remembering your promise to your friends. Friends are the ego here and uh, fear, the loveliness of sin, the delicate appeal of guilt, the holy waxen 
H-O-L-Y, holy waxen image of death, and the fear of vengeance of the ego, you swore in blood not to desert. All rise and bid you not to raise your eyes and look at God. Look at yourself as part of God. I'm adding that there. For you realize that if you look on this and let the veil be lifted, they will be gone forever. The the loveliness of sin, the appeal of guilt, the image of death, the fear of vengeance, all of that will go forever when you let go of the fear of God. And I can say this is true. All of your friends, your protectors in your home, these words are in quotes, will vanish. Nothing that you remember now will you remember. It seems to you the world will utterly abandon you if you but raise your eyes. Yet all that will occur is you will leave the world forever. This is the reestablishment of your will. Remember, your will is God's will. Look upon it open-eyed, and you will never more believe that you are at the mercy of things beyond you, forces you cannot control, and thoughts that come to you against your will. It is your will to look on this. No mad desire, no trivial impulse to forget again, no stab of fear, nor the cold sweat of a seeming death can stand against your will. For what attracts you from beyond the veil is also deep within you, unseparated from it and completely one. And I want to say victory is mine, victory is mine, victory is mine. So we just have to be willing to give up the fear of God that has laid over our life like a spider web. That's all. We just have to be willing. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful that that's the only step we have to take is the one of willingness. I cannot say enough how powerful and transformative it can be to let these obstacles dissolve and resolve permanently back to the root cause, which is that initial belief, the tiny mad idea. We're just giving it all to spirit for healing. We do not have to figure out how, hallelujah, victory is mine. I am one with the one and ever shall it be so. Everything that God has has already been given to me. I'm willing to accept it. I am willing to know that I am perfect love. I already am there. I am willing to know that and to give up all the other stuff. Yes, in the beginning, life will feel unfamiliar at times. And we will start to notice how attracted we are to Thoughts of separation, judgment, attack, complaint. And so get yourself some prayer partners and people that can walk this and talk this with you. Yes. And to that end, I'd like to make a couple of announcements here. One is that Kieran J. Gardner, who's been a guest on this podcast a number of times, she's got two classes coming up. If you are a counselor... 
uh, a therapist, a spiritual counselor, or you are a teacher, you're even counseling your grandchildren, anything like that, then you might be interested in her class on March 4th, which is entitled Miracles with Every Client. Miracles with Every Client, Applying a Course in Miracles in Those Kinds of Situations. And then she has another class on March 11th. The script is written. What does it mean? What is this about? Taking a deeper dive into A Course in Miracles. And of course, there's a lot more coming this year for us, so stay tuned. I'm going to place my hand in my heart, so grateful and thankful that the love of God is all that there is. It's all that we are, fully now and forever. We are consciously sharing the benefits of our healing with everyone, because we're one with them. We let the healing be... So it is. Amen, amen, amen. I love you. God bless.